May it please the listeners, my name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. I am joined today by my friend and partner and the chair of our construction practice, David Pfeffer. Hey, David, how you doing? I'm doing great, Rich. David and I are both recording from our respective homes today, but we are beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel and uh, seeing a return to office life. And as people who, I mean, I've spent my whole career working in New York City. David, do you do you think office space in New York City will be back in full? Yes, we do think it will be back in full, especially just from our small aperture legal view of what's coming across our desks right now. We, for the most part, fully believe that New York City in particular is back on track to getting to where we were pre-pandemic and possibly exploding even more like post 9-11 issues um, in the next five to 10 years. There is, of course, a rich tradition and history of office space in New York City. Does, does that inform your viewpoint? It does inform my viewpoint. And there's a couple of specific examples I'd like to talk about. But just backing up a little bit, our city depends very much on one important factor that real estate developers, real estate scholars, and economic professionals all agree on. For New York to remain vibrant, and this has been true since the Industrial Revolution, we really depend on certain ingredients. The primary ingredient is attracting young, smart people. Without that, almost everything else could fall apart. So how do we attract young, smart people? And you mean attract them physically to come to Physically to come to New York City, being the largest city in our country and the center of the arts, finance, and of lately, even technology. So how do we do that? We have to make it an attractive place for young, smart people. And we have all of um, those ingredients here already, from Broadway to Wall Street, to Fashion Avenue, to some of the best restaurants and entertainment in the world. So the question really is, how do we continue to attract young people, young, dynamic, smart people? We do that by making sure we get back very quickly to opening the arts, opening our financial institutions, and the other sectors of our economy as quickly and as safely as possible. And we see that happening. I mean, what we're seeing in my small group, which is um, eight full-time development and construction attorneys, is really a very fast pace move in that direction. And even more broadly, what have we seen during the pandemic? We've seen technology companies that require people in their offices, doubling down on New York City. For instance, in March, in late March, Amazon closed on the full purchase of the Lord & Taylor building, which was previously owned by WeWork. And they believe they're going to have over 10,000 employees in that building. Then in August, what did we see? 
We saw Facebook doubling down on New York City. They already had a million and a half square feet, mostly in Hudson Yards, which they signed pre-pandemic. We saw Facebook sign a lease for all 730,000 square feet of the Farley Post Office building. So that's a pretty good that's a pretty good sign having these massive tech companies setting up huge operations in the heart of New York City. Absolutely. And we're seeing it all over from older law firms to accounting firms. They're changing. They're being very mindful, Rich, of the things they have to do to balance safety and collaboration. But this is all being thought through and implemented as we speak now, Rich. Well, talk to me a little bit. I mean, you get involved, right, with the legal aspects of construction and the design. How does all of what you're talking about manifest itself in the way people are thinking about office space and designing office space? Right. So what we're seeing come across our desks in my real estate development department are several really important issues that have been discussed and thought through by our clients, design professionals, and contractors. I wrote them down, Rich. I think what we're seeing as the foundation of changes in the workplace environment are first companies looking at their culture and brand and what they want to promote both within the company and to the outside public. Very often that is going to entail a discussion of collaboration and in-person work and meetings with security, safety, and having people outside of the workplace also working diligently and effectively. Meaning meaning that this remote kind of working that, that we've been doing at our firm now for a while, it's going to continue in some ratio going forward. We think so. We yeah. think so. But we, we expect across all sectors, based on what we're seeing, we represent some investment banks and they're spending a lot of money retooling their space for flexibility. So maybe we'll have a certain percentage of people working more remotely, Rich, but what we're seeing is really the desire for companies to have people come back into the office, at least with respect to our New York City clients. Sure. Sure. And and because being in the office not only promotes the company internally, but I think what you're saying in part is it's it's an external showing of the corporate brand and the corporate culture. Correct. And what's really interesting is that the human resources departments have gotten not only involved in the safety aspects, but they're actually looking at it, Rich, from a point of view of recruitment in the future. It's very hard to recruit, right? When you're working from home, you need to show off your environment and your culture to future candidates. There's an interpersonal aspect that will never be replicated, I think, in in an online video conference, right? That's absolutely correct. Even with the financial institutions we work for, you know, the thoughts of that large, loud trading floor, that doesn't exist anymore, Rich. 30, 40 years ago, that may have been the case where you had a Solomon Smith Borney with a trading floor on the seventh floor, and it was loud, and it was what we all think about when we think about Wall Street. But that changed years ago with technology. In fact, if you walk a trading floor today in any large investment bank, it's very often quiet, full of very smart young MBAs. 
but they need to be present. Even though technology has permitted these sorts of professionals to trade from home, it just doesn't work because it has to be collaboration in real time. And that's true of so many sectors, Rich, from the design community, from the technology community and financial services. And look at what profession we're in, Rich. It's really hard to strategize and collaborate no matter how great our technology is, right? Right. Yeah, I know. It's, it, again, you know, you can gather people in a teleconference or a video conference, but that's different than having an in-person meeting of teams. I hear you talk about flexibility being important in the way people are thinking about office space right now. How does that get implemented in the design? How do you make office space more flexible? So we were, we meaning New York City and typical office professional life was already moving in this direction of hoteling where there is not a designated office for a professional, but you could go into that office, have privacy and plug and play, right? You bring your laptop in and within seconds, you have access to all of your files. We were also moving to this sort of work environment called benching, which we see in financial institutions where instead of an office, it's plug and play at a collaborative desk or tables and so on. And companies like that because you could get a lot of efficiency out of your space, right? Rather than having everyone in offices. And, you know, the benching was, I think, a response to the closed off nature of the cubicle if you follow it historically. So we're seeing a faster move in that direction. The challenge now, Rich, though, is how do you have this very flexible office environment with security and safety? So that's what we see the last 11 months now since the pandemic started here in the US has been that struggle between moving to a flexible office environment like hoteling and benching versus security and safety. I see. So on the one hand, and this is, goes hand in hand with being more paperless. People don't need an office. They don't have a stack of paper sitting on their desk. They have a laptop. They can go anywhere to any office and they can plug in. And I guess what you're talking about is trying to balance that with the security of everybody having their own office that only they go into that locks at night, right? That's the kind of trade-off you're talking about? Exactly, exactly right. And as part of that, I think companies across all sectors have realized that their employees and professionals can be efficient outside of the office as well. So maybe you needed 50 square feet for every two or four people. And now you could use that since people will be working more remotely in a holistic manner. Maybe that same 50 square feet of office space can accommodate 10 people since all 10 are not going to be in the office at the same time. That's something that is very valuable to tenants in New York City, where they can, quote, squeeze more people into the same space, but have everyone remain comfortable since they're not coming in every day anymore. Very important given the cost of office real estate in New York City, right? Right. Now, one other topic, I, you know, as we're talking about this flexibility and safety issue, is another issue of security, especially with respect to our technology, right? So for the last 10 months in New York City, 
a vast amount of professionals have been working from home. And it's so easy for that professional to say, you know, maybe I won't log on to the firm system today. I'll work on my own Microsoft Word program. Well, now you've just evaded and done an end run around all of the security investment that your firm has implemented to protect that Word document or that spreadsheet, right? And now you're home working on a Wi-Fi system um, that may not be as secure as it is in your home office. And now, you know, that's something that companies have gotten very sensitive to, Rich, is the security of our technology. And even in our firm, we've spoken about making sure people are working on our system because all of all the security measures we've implemented on that system. So we hear a lot of talk about that. And in our profession, there are privilege issues and also confidentiality issues. You can't just be forwarding documents willy-nilly to personal emails and the like. There's a reason to keep them on a secure system, and that's true in, in many fields. Correct. Let's think for a minute. So uh, we're talking a lot about design and what are offices going to look like. Let's talk for a minute about the more immediate issue of safety going back to the office on a full-time basis. What are companies having to look at as immediate issues of making sure their existing office space is as safe as possible? Right. So, Rich, in New York City, we have a whole host of other issues other than the office space. People have to get into New York City. So that dialogue is starting actually with respect to transportation. And companies have to get comfortable that their employers are safe on transportation. And that's probably not going to happen until, at least on today's timetable, sometime in the early fall or maybe even early winter of 2021. Right, because right? you're, you're talking about bringing employees back en masse, going over the Long Island Railroad, going on New Jersey Transit, taking the New York subway system, or coming in by bus or car. And those are all challenges, no matter how safe your office is. Correct. So that's been the discussion at the get-go, is getting the transportation system safe. So we're still a little bit of a ways away to getting there, but we definitely see, obviously, the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, the next question is the lobbies of your office building. Now, while we have some great new developments in New York City, like Hudson Yards, some other places in Midtown, most of our buildings are actually masonry buildings with smallish lobbies for the amount of people they serve. So you're going to see a lot of renovations of lobbies where they may become higher, more modern, separated. And most importantly, and we'll discuss this a little bit more in detail, Rich, are our ventilation systems in our buildings. Because the existing technology, notwithstanding new innovation, the existing technology are these HEPA filters from level 12, the design professionals listening will understand this, from level 10 or 12 up, they do a very good job of getting those microbes that are microscopic like a coronavirus. They actually do a very good job of filtering the air, but they would require upgrades of various portions of the HVAC systems and buildings. We're going to see a lot of that. 
We're going to see a lot of that over the next year or two, especially with respect to our older buildings in New York City. It's a little ironic, isn't it? I feel like New York City office buildings have been moving away from operable windows for years and years. And right now, it would probably be pretty convenient to be able to open them all up. Yeah. So we've seen that from a few developers where they're actually retrofitting their buildings because they feel that from a cost investment point of view, that operable windows are something that tenants will be looking for. And relatively speaking, that's not a major investment for most buildings, especially masonry buildings, to get those windows operable. Another thing we're seeing is, and it's very interesting because it's almost the antithesis to New York City working environment, is separate secure entrances for employees. And you could do that. It's difficult, obviously, in a skyscraper in Manhattan, but you could very easily do this in the growing areas of Brooklyn that we see more offices and even Queens. It's much easier in smaller, mid-sized buildings to create a separate elevator for a tenant or to create a separate entrance for a tenant. And you'll definitely see that in the suburban business corridors. So you mean like different entrance for different in different companies that are in the same building? Correct. I see. Correct. And then probably having those be different from the public entrance to the building. Exactly right. And you're going to see in future developments, because it's hard to retrofit outdoor community space, but in future developments, you're going to see a lot of outdoor workplaces. Oh, that's interesting. Well, and here's another one. We talked about getting people to the building on transportation and the air quality inside the building. But once they're in the lobby, they have to get up to their offices, right? And that's a whole other issue. Yeah. So um, we in the profession call that vertical transportation. And that's a real <laughs> thing. That's a real thing, Rich, is vertical transportation consultants. And they've been very busy lately. New Yorkers will recall in April and May of 2020, we saw all these bizarre sort of diagrams of how you should stand in your elevator. I remember Um, that. You you go in a corner and you point at the corner. Yeah, exactly. Should have been in a cartoon somewhere at some place. So that's not going to work when you're having thousands of people even entering a mid-sized building every day coming and going. So you're going to see those elevators quickly retrofitted with HEPA filters, number one. Two is you're going to see elevators retrofitted so you don't have to press any buttons, Rich. You may press a button, and you may have seen this in some buildings in the lobby, Yeah, um, but there's no buttons in the elevator. So that's going to be an amazing change because they'll even get old elevators that way. And at least initially, you may see building management trying to implement these strategies, whereas they're going to limit the amount of people in an elevator or only allow a group of people going to the same office up in the elevator at the same time. I think practically speaking, that's going to be hard to legislate and manage, but you may see that happen early on to get people more comfortable. Well, you know what? These seem to me like a lot of challenges and a lot of interesting challenges, but they all seem surmountable. They are. Again, it all goes back to making sure people feel safe, particularly young, smart people coming to the city. Look, Rich, I mean, look at Broadway. Those seats are really half the size of what you'd see um, on certain airlines these days. And we have to get those arts and our cultural institutions, museums, really back open. And then I think you're going to quickly see the springing effect 
of everything else opening in New York City. But it is all about safety. Right. I think as as people feel more comfortable moving about New York City and going to things, there'll be a pretty quick bounce back. You know, David, even even the Knicks are good again. Yes. Well, I think the team across the water is even doing better. What? Do they have a team in Brooklyn now? <laughs> yes, I'm a Knicks fan as well. Um, but that's I heard a, I heard a rumor about a team in Brooklyn. I don't know. All right, David. Well, that's all great. Thank you for talking to us about that. I said at the outset that you were the chair of our construction practice, and you mentioned your group a little bit, but tell us a little bit about what you do and what your group does. Great. So we're eight full-time professionals, attorneys in the construction group at Tartic, Krinsky, and Drogan. We focus on real estate development, mostly for owners, not all developers, corporate institutional clients, high net worth individuals, and others involved in the design and construction process, mostly in the New York metropolitan area, although we're quite busy in Florida right now, and we're occasionally other places in the country. We help with everything from putting together project teams to helping purchase properties, finance properties, partnership issues, and putting together that framework of ownership of buildings to tenants um, building out their space, their office spaces, and so on. We get involved in dispute resolution during the course of a construction project. We help and resolve and mediate disputes following completion of construction. We help with managing issues with neighbors on a construction site, which is a really big issue in densely populated neighborhoods like Manhattan and Brooklyn. You have to work together with your neighbors, and there's ways to approach that issue in a very efficient and cost-effective manner. And everything in between, Rich, with respect to real estate development. Right. And I happen to know from experience, you on occasion get involved in some litigation if it comes to it emanating from a construction project. Correct. That's right. Everything from partnership disputes to design malpractice, construction defects, and so on. Great. We end these episodes with a closing argument, speaking of litigation, where we give a takeaway or two for the listener. What would you what would you put out there as a takeaway on the issue of post-pandemic office space in New York City? Yeah, I think that really what's going to save the day here with respect to at least COVID and post-pandemic issues is creativity, innovation, and technology, Rich. That's what firms should be looking to. Creativity, innovation, and technology, three hallmarks of New York City as far as I'm concerned. David, great to have you on. Good to talk to you anytime. Thank you, sir. Good seeing you, Rich. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at 
You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief. Law Brief.